This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. If you're like me, you want an audiobook that will have you sitting in the driveway long after you've gotten home, because you just have to get to the end of your chapter. That's definitely the case with The Enemy Beside Me by Naomi Reagan, read by Gina Murray. Inspired by true events, this powerful, provocative novel tells the story of a woman who takes over the Survivors Campaign, an organization that brings Nazi war criminals to justice. When she travels to Lithuania for a Holocaust conference, where she's seen as a public enemy for her efforts, she becomes entangled in a complicated relationship and faces hostile forces that could upend her life and cause her to make shocking choices. Start listening to The Enemy Beside Me by Naomi Reagan now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara Bukinski, and today my guest is Logan Steiner, author of the debut novel, After Anne, a stunning and unexpected portrait of Lucy Maud Montgomery, creator of one of literature's most prized heroines, whose personal demons were at odds with her most enduring legacy, Anne of Green Gables. Sarah McCoy, past guest of the podcast and New York Times, Best-selling author says an exquisite tribute to Lucy Maud Montgomery, the revered author who gave us so much scope for imagination. After Anne is for fans who long to know the woman behind Anne Shirley's story. Get ready, this book will break your heart in the most splendid ways. Logan Steiner is a litigator and brief writing specialist at a boutique law firm. She graduated summa cum laude from Pomona College and cum laude from Harvard Law School. She lives in Denver with her husband and daughter after Anne is her first novel. Logan, welcome to A Bookish Home and congratulations on After Anne. I am such a big Ellen Montgomery fan and I've been eager to talk with you ever since I read the book. Yes, thank you so much, Laura, for having me on. I am a big fan of the podcast and I'm so excited to be here. Well, I, as soon as I sort of heard that there was a book exploring Ellen Montgomery and her life and kind of imagining kind of her experiences after creating Anne of Green Gables. I was just so intrigued and I'd love to hear how you came to write this book. If you, I would imagine maybe were a big Anne fan. Um, What kind of got you intrigued about the author's life and made you want to start writing this? Absolutely. I love the stories of creative lives. I am somebody who has had dreams of writing Uh, much like many of Ellen Montgomery's heroines uh, since a very young age. So since I was 10, I said, um, you know, would tell anybody who who would listen that I wanted to write. And and I've always been really, really uh, scared of putting my writing out there in the world. And so I've really found that learning about the lives of other writers, what they faced, what they went through is the best thing that I can do to help me feel kind of less alone in this creative drive and also all of the doubt that comes along with it. And so, uh, you know, in my first book, I wanted to tell the story of a creative. I turned to uh, the creators of books that I most love and Anne of Green Gables and all of Ellen Montgomery's books were just such a treasured part of my childhood. And I uh, read them, you know, cover to cover many times. I uh, was introduced to them by my grandmother, who I was very, very close to, um, who lived in Iowa. I would go to visit her on spring breaks and in the summer coming out from Colorado. And she and I just had a connection from a young age. And in so many ways, I saw her as my Marilla, and we, you know, 
read the book. She she gave me the books to read. We watched the CBC Megan Follows miniseries together basically every visit and would just, just cry her eyes out. And just has such a special place in my childhood. Um, and I think embodied so much of, of who I wanted to be in the world and was always trying to coax myself into being, you know, much more open and, and fully open with my imagination, which was always a big part of myself, but a part that I uh, kept more under wraps. And, um, you know, she was just so much herself in the world. And I loved that. So when, you know, I learned about Ellen Montgomery's life, I still remember the first time reading about her life story and just getting chills and learning about, um, you know, kind of all the tragedy in her life, what a deep and varied life she had, that she was this kind of celebrated Canadian public figure, and had all of this, these parts of her life that were kind of kept under wraps for a long time. And I, I grew really fascinated and uh, never stopped being in all of my research and writing of this book. Um, she is just such a complex, fascinating woman. And um, it was really, you know, such a, a privilege to be able to delve into her life and tell her story. It's amazing how that one character and this particular author has had just such a huge impact impact on countless women. I mean, I'm sure men too, but just women in particular, that character was imprinted on so many of us as children. And yes, um, it, it's interesting. I sometimes think about like, was I more drawn to that character because I was already this certain way or did that character help shape who I wanted to be just, you know, wanting to write and being very like bookish and ambitious. And so I just think it's interesting how that one character and this particular author have just had such an impact through, you know, decade after decade. And I too have just been so fascinated with her life and have taken the trip to Prince Edward Island and gone to some of these places that are mentioned in the novel, which is really fun. I think anybody who loves Anne could read after Anne and then maybe, you know, plan one of those pilgrimages to um, all these places um, on Prince Edward Island. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I'd love to hear a little bit about a little about the structure of the book because Ellen Montgomery's journals play such a big role. And so I'd love to hear about um, the journals and how you kind of decided to use those as part of the structure. And then there's a particular weekend in the novel that you keep coming back to. So if you could tell us just a little bit about, yeah, the journals and the structure and that, and that birthday weekend. Absolutely. Yes. It's, you know, I was so interested, first of all, in the, when I discovered in my research that there was this gap um, from the end of her life, this, you know, very diligent journal keeper who, you know, really crafted her life record so meticulously and in such interesting uh, in a, such an interesting way in her journals, there, there are these missing years from the end of her life where there are just a few short, you know, final entries. And then there's this note found by the side of her bed when she dies that has a page number suggesting that there were many other pages that were sort of lost to history and what could have happened to those years. That was so fascinating to me, as well as this project of keeping journals uh, with the idea that they would be published, you know, she decided in, in middle life to recopy them and, and had this 
intent to have them published after she died, she ultimately gave her younger son, you know, the, um, the power to decide when those would be published. But uh, that was just such a fascinating decision to me. And I, I structured the novel around this idea of a woman at the end of her life looking back um, and what really sticks at the end of a life. Um, you know, so there's the chronological account of a life that a biography can do so well. But, you know, with a novel, there's this play in the joints. There's the ability to move back and forth in time. There's the ability to fill in the gaps um, of this historical record with, um, you know, what what I as an author really thought was the most likely set of events based on my research. And so I loved the idea of, you know, we know she had bonfires at the end of her life. What would she have chosen to burn in those bonfires? What papers, uh, in bonfires burning papers, I should say specifically, what papers would she have chosen to burn? And then what did she choose to keep in her journals and why? And I was very interested in, um, you know, what really sticks. And I think, you know, big life events, often the most tragic, painful life events are really can be what shape us. And so I think those are important parts to tell, you know, the after Anne, the after the creation of this character that became such an instant success, you know, worked her way into the hearts of so many, as you said, I mean, I think Ellen Montgomery tapped into something really universal in, in, you know, at least a lot of, um, women's spirits and, you know, the early women's spirits when she wrote Anne. Um, But then what comes after being this best-selling author? Um, So I was very interested in sort of the build-up to that uh, publication and then what unfolded in her life. But I was also interested in, you know, what would have been a really significant formative time in her life that she might come back to. Um, at the end, what would have been a really formative decision. And that birthday weekend really has her, um, you know, in this battle of what to prioritize in her life, Um, you know, fully her writing or marriage, and really in that struggle. And I think that those kinds of decisions can just have resonances with so much later in our lives. And so I was really interested in going back and forth and the, the echoes between that birthday weekend and what came a little bit before and that birthday weekend and what came later. And I built, built the structure of the novel around that. Yeah. It was such an interesting period in her life to keep coming back to where she hasn't had the success yet of Anne, but it's going to be published. And yeah, she is deciding about marriage and kind of we're looking we're looking at her view of her future husband through sort of what we know later in her life. So it just made for such an interesting reading experience. And one of the things I wondered, yeah, one of the things I wondered as I was reading, you know, we do have her journals and of course all of her writing. What was your process like for trying to tap into her voice and did it take you a long time to feel ready to um, write as her? And was it difficult to kind of get up the literary courage to do that? It was, it it absolutely was. And it was a many years process for me. Um, you know, I, I had this intuitive sense, you know, when I 
uh, read her work, I related so strongly to her characters. When I read about her life, I felt like I had, you know, my own understanding of it that was a very kind of deep initial intuitive sense. But then, you know, it took immersing myself in her voice as deeply as I could for many months. I took a six-month leave um, from my law firm to start the research process. And that was a really, that was kind of my immersive time, um, reading all the journals, rereading the fiction, reading, you know, as much as I could get my hands on in terms of, you know, scholarly work um, about Ella Montgomery. And I think the journals were the really the key to my own sense of being able to inhabit her voice. But it it did take literary courage, as you say, and so much of um, you know working working with myself along the way. And I have edited I edited this book many times, so um, you know each time I felt like I sort of tapped into a deeper understanding of Maud, a deeper sense of who she was, because she was really a multi-layered person. And so I do think it took that. I'm, I'm grateful for each editing round that I took um, to really get there to the point where I felt like I'd captured it, um, you know, to, to my best ability to understand and, and express her. Well, one of the things I also liked reading about that, I had, I feel like I had read about vaguely in terms of her life was this really strong friendship that she had. And I'm not even sure how you, how you pronounce her name. Is it Freed or Frida? How, how do you say her name? Freed. Freed. Um, and it, it made me think a lot about just Anne and Diana and kind of wondering if Freed was sort of a, an inspiration for that, but I'd love to hear about her. And then, I don't think it's giving away too much to say that she she dies young, which has a big impact on um, Ellen Montgomery. And that also just felt very relevant because it's um, from the Spanish flu. And, um, you know, given that the pandemic has been so prevalent the past few years, that just felt very timely to lose a loved one in that way. So I'd love to yeah, just hear more about Freed and kind of maybe anything you uncovered in your research. Yes. Uh, Freed was one of the most delightful characters to write, and their friendship was a special one. Um, you know, one of those friendships that I think it, it began really when Freed, um, you know, was old enough because they did have this, this nine-year gap between them. And so when Freed sort of became an adult woman, they, they really started to connect. And um, I think the bond between them was one of those that just formed so easily. And we're also lucky if we have a friendship in our lives that is that kind of deep and natural. And, um, you know, the reading what Maud wrote about Freed, um, reading her moving inscription and, you know, the final and book uh, to Freed and just, uh, you know, the letters, it, it was, it was so, um, I just, I loved to know that, that Ellen Montgomery had this sort of bright light and, and friendship in her life that was so meaningful. And then I think, um, you know, I experienced with her the pain of, of a loss that was so sudden like that in middle life, um, and to a pandemic that, 
uh, like you said, has so many resonances to today's time. And it was, you know, I think particularly, I think it, and, you know, the fact that it came right on the heels of World War One um, made it a really different time, too. It was sort of this insult on injury, that the feeling and that like, there had been so much loss and there was just this sense of starting to recover and then this devastating pandemic. And of course, you know, less understanding then of, of what to do in the face of it and just so much devastating loss um, and really, you know, sudden loss. And Two for Maude as, you know, somebody who is young, somebody who is younger than her, who she, um, you know, even wrote in a letter that she, you know, always thought that she would be the one to go first. And I think, you know, I've experienced the that sense of this kind of loss out of order and losing my brother suddenly um, in 2014. And that was you know, it gave me this, this sense of how, um, just how absolutely devastating and shocking to the system, um, something like that can be and how, um, you know, personal tragedy, we can be a completely different version of ourselves, um, between one day and the next, um, when things like this strike. And, um, so I really just, I, I felt Maud's pain in that. And, what a significant role Freed always continued to play, um, as as my brother does um, in Maud's memory, and I loved to be able then to revisit throughout the novel this birthday weekend, this this time with Freed that could always live, as as Maud says, you know, in the Story Girl, um, you know, what we remember, we never lose. I don't have that quote quite right, but really it's, you know, that there's yeah. such power in memory and, um, you know, that she could keep revisiting those, those really special times with Freed and how Freed moved and shaped her. Like you said, the, you know, she could recreate friendships like that in her fiction too, but she could keep that with her. And I think that friendship would have been with her in her final days and her final moments. Yes. And I'm so sorry to hear about your brother and, it is such a, I thought, such a moving piece of the book, the way the way people can really continue to be so present in your life, even after they're gone. And that, that definitely seems like the case for Maude. Um, well, yes. the other thing I, I think is interesting is as we kind of learn more about her and her life, I think as we're reading her books, or at least for me, you know, I do love the Anne and Gilbert relationship and always have and you sort of yeah and you sort of hope that that's the kind of um you know happy happily ever after she experiences in her own life and um as we come to see in the novel and just in learning about her that unfortunately does not really seem to be the case um with her love story could you talk a little bit about um her marriage and kind of the way it's not as rosy as, as we see in her fiction. Yes, it certainly was not. And I do think this is a way that, you know, this contrast between reality and fiction was one of the things that was most striking to me in first learning about Maud's story. And I really wanted to unpack that and understand that for myself. You know, so many of us, we, we like to hear about the the Gilbert and Anne relationships. And those aren't always the relationships 
the marriages that we have. And I think particularly in this time when there was so much pressure to marry, you know, I have um, Ma during that birthday weekend, you know, in her early 30s, which at the time there was just incredible pressure at that point. There was this word spinster that was, you know, <laughs> used with such gravitas that, um, you know, people were very reluctant to become and, and in their 20s, early 20s. So this was thought of as, as well past the time when, you know, she would need to decide and kind of the, the last chance. And so she's really battling with this good seeming prospect, um, you know, from the outside, a minister who is having some success, who's handsome, um, who kind of fits the part, uh, but then really struggling with her own internal feelings around that. And I think that's something that so many women can probably relate to. But then feeling, you know, I, what my hope was that in, you know, telling this in novel form, people could really put themselves in, in Maude's shoes and feel what that pressure would have felt like at the time, um, different now. Um, and although you certainly there are their own, we have our own pressures now, but, you know, just the societal pressures around marriage and how different of a path it already was that Maude was forging being this, you know, prolific author sending her work out there with such determination. Um, you know, but then to to face the prospect of continuing to go that path fully alone and kind of give up on the possibility of children, um, it was a real battle. And I think that, you know, what we see, what I hope to show in, in the rest of the book is sort of the after, how that plays out, um, you know, that decision. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I worked really hard to do in reworking this book and, you know, my editing process was to portray you and Mon's husband in the most sympathetic light possible. I think, you know, to really understand what it would have been at the time for a man who had deep insecurities to marry a woman who was not just more successful than him. I mean, I think the number of women who out earned their husbands and heterosexual couples back then was very, very few. It's still not, <laughs> not enough, but it was very few back then. And, you know, to, he, she not only out earned him, but she became this celebrity. Um, and I don't think in, in Canada, and I just don't think that that's such an interesting thing. And to understand that with the social pressures at the time, tremendous for men to be breadwinners um, Ewan's already insecure. And I think, um, you know, I developed over the course of my research and, and writing um, a lot of empathy for him as well. Um, you know, my, my truest empathy and, and loyalty is, is, was kind of consistently with Maude. I just have such respect for her um, and, and what she was going through. But I, I really worked to develop and show that empathy for you and too, and just just how threatening uh, Maud's success would have been, and how much that was about really what was built into the fabric of the society at the time. Yeah, it definitely was interesting to kind of walk in their shoes instead of maybe just reading sort of the facts about their lives. It is always interesting to kind of really inhabit what it would have felt like and been like. Is there anything else that you have been hoping that readers take away or something that surprised you as you were maybe researching her that you put in that you hope people pay particular attention to? You know, I think 
there are so many things that I've taken from this story. I mean, like I say, the thing that I want most is for readers to come away feeling deeply and and learning from this um, this creative, complex life that I just think is is endlessly fascinating, um, and to be drawn back into. Um, or into for the first time, Maud's fiction, Maud's tremendous journals. Uh, but I do think that a piece of her story that I come back to often, that I think has so much relevance today, is this sort of public versus private self divide. And I think, you know, Maud had so much um, struggle with, with what to reveal. She was this public figure, um, and she had so many hard things in her personal life happening and you know what of that to share especially after losing you know her closest friend and confidant um but she she ended up keeping so much close you know and um you know what it is not to have those close confidence to share i just think that there's so much that echoes today in social media and putting ourselves out there online, you know, in a way, we're all having experience that only public figures did back in that day of, you know, um, what we share about ourselves gets broadcast to strangers. And what do we choose to share? How do we keep that authentic? How do we, um, you know, choose, you know, decide uh, what's right, what's too vulnerable, what's, you know, being, you know, overly sharing too much, sharing too little. And I just think that that struggle is one that so many can relate to today. I don't think there are any easy answers. Um, but I do think um, the choice to continue to open up and find those kindred spirits, those people who can really hear our struggles as well as our success, that that's just such an important thing that I've had to keep relearning in my own life. Um, and it's something that I've, I've taken from Maud's story. I love that. Such a good takeaway. Um, well, just lastly, I'd love to hear if there are any books that you've been enjoying lately, kind of like we've gotten to really um, sink into and enjoy after Anne. Oh my goodness. I have been um, just reading up a storm um, in this recent season and really, really enjoying it. I think the, you know, the one that's had the biggest impact on me very recently is actually nonfiction. Um, the book Quiet by Susan Cain um, about introverts in, in a world that can't stop talking. It's given me and my very introverted self just so I've, I've had so much self-acceptance around my introversion how it serves me, um, carving out space for it, and particularly in this book publicity season, kind of, you know, what I need to support myself through it. I highly, highly recommend that book. Um, And then I finished uh, Lucy by the Sea recently by Elizabeth Strout, um, who's one of my favorite writers. And I thought that was such an interesting poignant in her incredible prose um, look at, at the pandemic. And taking it on so soon um, in the wake of the pandemic, I think was a really brave choice. And I just, I found that to be really powerful and moving. Um, And then most recently I just read um, Devoured on a Plane Ride, uh, the book, The Night of Many Endings by Melissa Payne, who's a writer friend of mine. Um, And 
it's just such a a great read about you know the kind of the power in each of us to change our own stories and um, what you know how different strangers intersecting over the course of one night with a big storm how each of their lives could be shaped um, out of that one experience. So highly recommend that one as well. Yeah, those sound great. I will definitely link to all of them. And um, I just wanted to ask too, are you able to say anything yet about a next book? I am currently working on a memoir um, about my many years journey to motherhood, really aiming to speak to people that are in an uncertain place um, about becoming parents, which I was for many, many years. And it was quite a journey to get to where I am. And I I felt, you know, a lot of loneliness in that space that there was not a lot written about it. So that's well, what I'm currently writing. I plan to write historical fiction. Um, I can plan to continue to write historical fiction, but this is this is where I've been focused recently. That sounds great. Well, I really hope that listeners go pick up after Anne. Anyone who is a fan of Lucy Maud Montgomery is really going to enjoy this. Anyone who loves reading about the lives of real authors, um, especially when you can kind of enjoy their lives as a novel, I think will really enjoy this. Um, So I hope people head to their local bookstore or library. And Logan, just thank you for taking the time to come on. It has been um, so interesting to get to talk with you about uh, Maude and, and the book. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review whenever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.